Hey everybody, uh, good morning. So, so glad that you are here and have joined us for worship here at Christ Community Chapel. Welcome those of you who are worshiping at East Hall or just tuning in through the internet. Welcome. All right, we are highlighting a ministry in the atrium uh, this weekend. It's called International Friendship Connection. Uh, it's a great ministry. Literally thousands of students from other countries uh, come here to the United States to study at our universities. And there are hundreds of students from other countries at Kent State University. As a parent, I can only imagine how grateful I'd be if I sent my child to study in another country, how grateful I'd be if someone from that country befriended that my child. Uh, and that's what International Friendship Connection is all about. We've been connected with them for a while, and I want to just read you a story of a couple of our members and their experience with IFC. This is a story from Lois and Ernie Carnes, and they say our story begins in August of 2013. Everything started simply with the decision to step up as volunteers for the International Friendship Connection at Kent State. We'd had an opportunity to meet and form relationships with many international students and scholars through our involvement with IFC. These relationships were built through the everyday moments of life, like meeting for regular dinners together, shopping trips, visits to Cleveland museums, and picnics on the lake. Of all the new friends we met, one encounter was different from the rest. We were introduced to a postdoctoral scholar, Yang, who had just arrived from the US, or to the U.S. He was very curious to visit an American church. After we invited Yang and his wife, Chen, to CCC, they listened, learned, and experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Yang and Chen made a commitment to serve Christ after months of attending our church, spending time with us learning from the Bible and seeing the kindness and friendships of others at CCC. Yang and Chen were baptized, and their infant child was dedicated. Unashamedly, they invited dozens of other Kent State University Chinese colleagues to visit CCC with him. Three short-term Chinese visitors made a commitment to follow Christ before they returned to China. After spending five years in the U.S., Yang and Chen returned to China. Yang is now a professor at a prestigious university. Because Yang and Chen are not free to visit a Chinese Christian church, we have a Bible study online with them weekly and also provide a Bible lesson for their children. Yang often speaks how his commitment to his faith has grown in China as he's seen the hand of God in his life from day to day. While Yang and Chen's lives were forever transformed by coming to Kent State, our lives have been enriched and likewise changed through our involvement with these international students and scholars. We will always be thankful for the opportunity we had to see how God can use friendship and kindness to bring people into his kingdom. How amazing is that? Yeah, thank you. You know, our goal this year is to make Jesus famous, and this is one of the ways that we can do it. And we are wanting 50 of you guys to uh, go out into the atrium and talk with uh, the people from International Friendship Connection and just say you can do it. You will befriend someone from another country, and who knows what God will do through that. Okay, so if you have any questions or interests, please stop at the table on your way out. All right? Thanks. All right, we are in our summer series, 12-week series called The Dirty Dozen. Uh, we are looking at 12 people in the Bible who are unlikely candidates for God to use. I don't know if you have ever felt like that, like you are underqualified to tell somebody about Jesus because you don't know whether you can answer their questions or 
You feel disqualified. We talked about that last week because of something you have done. If you have ever felt like that, you are in good company, the company of the dirty dozen, because you are exactly the kind of person that God uses to tell other people about Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 8, or you can wait for the passage to come up on the screen. We call her Mary Magdalene because she was from a little town called Magdala. Uh, It was not uncommon in the first century to go by your first name and the town you grew up in. That's why many people referred to Jesus as Jesus the Nazarene, because he grew up in Nazareth. Mary grew up in Magdala, so she was called Mary Magdalene. She's mentioned 14 times in the Gospels, but there's only one passage that tells us anything about her life before she followed Jesus. And this is it, Luke chapter 8, the first three verses. This is what it says. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is God's word. I'm always surprised at uh, what information the Bible gives us and what information the Bible leaves out. I mean, there's so many of these stories where there are whole books that you could write about a single life. I told you a couple weeks ago, I mentioned the the man who had leprosy that Jesus healed. That's in Luke chapter 5. That story takes three verses. Luke tells us in three verses about this man who had leprosy who Jesus touched and healed. The whole story. I mean, we don't know anything. We don't know how long it took him Uh, before he noticed the spot on his skin. We don't know how long he took before he mentioned it to his wife and how long they agonized before they decided to go to the priest to be examined. We don't know what it felt like for him to come home, pack a bag, hug his wife and his children goodbye, knowing he would never touch them again. We don't know how his heart broke when he closed the door and heard them sobbing on the inside. We don't know how long he had leprosy before he ran into Jesus. We don't know how far the disease had gone. I have been at leper colonies. Leprosy impacts the extremities first, the fingers, the ears, the nose. We don't know what his face looked like when Jesus took his face in his hands, looked him in the eyes and said, I am willing, be clean. The passage in Luke tells us that last verse that Jesus told him to go show himself to the priest, but we don't know how fast he ran from the priest to his house and what it felt like to knock on the door and have his wife open the door and see her husband. You see, every story in the Bible is a whole life story. The same is true with Mary Magdalene. We know so little about her from Luke. This is all we know, verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. That's all we know. Now Luke, uh, he includes the, the little detail that there were seven demons. I don't know why. Right, why not just say she was demon-possessed? Well, we know that some numbers are important in the Bible. Seven is one of those numbers. Seven indicates uh, a completeness, 
a fullness, seven days in a week, seven archangels, seven demons in Mary. Maybe Luke was saying what Mary had was as bad as it gets. You could have more than seven demons, but they wouldn't be any worse than seven demons. We have no idea what it was like for her to be demon-possessed, but we can assume that she was not operating as a competent adult, that she was probably disheveled, unkempt, unbathed, wide-eyed. She had a fractured sense of self. She didn't know where she ended and the demons began or where the demons ended and she began. She was probably homeless. If you've ever walked by somebody like that when you were in the city and seen some woman unkempt, some woman disheveled, mumbling to herself or shouting to no one in particular, what do you do? What do you see? Say, what I do, I I try to act like I don't see. I look straight ahead. Part of it is that I don't want to stare and be rude, but more than that, I'm, I'm afraid that if I look at her, she might make on, eye contact with me, and then I'm engaged. And if she comes over to engage me, I don't know what to do. I don't know where that goes. I don't know how to disengage. And that's the way people felt with Mary. So with Mary, they would look around her, over her, through her, walk past her. You know why we don't know more about Mary? Maybe it's because no one did. Because no one ever really saw her. I'm going to do this in stages. I'm going to give you three stages of Mary Magdalene's life. And the first stage is no one sees her. She is invisible. I don't know if you've ever felt invisible. You may feel like that right now, right here. I've watched it in different situations where some tragedy has happened to a home, whether it's, a, it's an illness that's a, an incurable disease that's hit a home, or, or it's a tragic loss, or it's a completed suicide. And at first, people rally around, and then people begin to just kind of dissipate, and then, then the person starts feeling like people are trying to avoid them. And I want you to know, if you're in that situation, it's not that people are avoiding you because they don't care about you. We tend to avoid people because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We are beyond our depth. And that's the way it was for Mary Magdalene. That's the way she felt. So that's the first stage. No one sees her until she runs into Jesus. And that brings us to the second stage, where Jesus sees her. I want you to imagine what that was like Right, a hundred times, a thousand times, ten thousand times, people walked past her, around her. They looked over her, around her, through her, but never really saw her. And then Jesus sees her, and he walks right to her, and he engages her. Best and the worst thing about Jesus is that he sees you. You cannot hide from him. I'll tell you this. The reason he sees you is that he is looking for you. If you are here today, if you are listening to this, if you are watching this, it's because Jesus is looking for you, and Jesus sees you. My all-time favorite stories that Jesus tells is in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is telling uh, some people about how God really feels about them, and he tells this story. He says, a man had a hundred sheep, And one wandered off, and he left the 99 to go and look for the one. 
I have told that story over and over and over to my children when they're little, and now I tell it over and over and over again to my grandchildren, and I always tell it the same way. I just told it to my grandson, John, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I was at a wedding, and he was at the wedding. We were at the reception. Uh, John had been a ring bearer. This is the way John looked. <laughs> I did that. I threw up that photo just to get that response. Right? <laughs> so he was really cute, you know, and that, at one point in the reception, you know, all the kids were running around in the, on the dance floor, and then um, they cleared the dance floor because they announced that the uh, groom and the bride were going to have their first dance. And John didn't hear them or understand, so John was out there, and he was just laying on the dance floor. <laughs> and uh, so they're trying to dance around. They actually start the dance, and he's laying there, and they're kind of dancing around, and I'm kind of clueless. My wife says to me, Joe, go get him. So I go out to get him, and I lean down to pick him up, and he goes limp on me, you know, the way kids do. So I had to go deeper to pick him up, and I, when I leaned down deep, my phone fell out of my pocket, hit him right on the forehead. <laughs> so now he's screaming, he's crying. I pick him up, I pick my phone up, I go back to my, to my seat. People are looking at me, I don't know what to do. So I whisper in his ear. I say, hey, John, you want to hear a story? A shepherd had a hundred sheep, and one of his sheep was named Bubba Sheep. Bubba is his nickname. And the moment I said that, he quit crying. He wouldn't look at me because I was whispering in this ear, but he held his head really, really still. He just looked straight ahead. You know why? Everyone wants to be looked for. Everyone wants to be looked for. The lost sheep in this story is Mary Magdalene. The lost sheep in this room might be you. Jesus looks for you he sees you. He sees Mary. He engages Mary. He's not afraid to engage Mary because Jesus is not out of his depth. He's not beyond his expertise. I just was reading a book by C.S. Lewis last week. C.S. Lewis was talking about how different we are from each other, you know, uh, how different our personalities are, how different our, our fingertips, our fingerprints are. And he says your soul is as different as your personality from the person sitting next to you. And C.S. Lewis says that inside of every soul, it's like a lock, and there's only one key that fits that lock, and Jesus has that key. And Jesus has the key to Mary Magdalene's soul. So Jesus engages her, right? He unlocks her soul. He heals her. He casts out the demons. He integrates her. He makes her whole. He loves her. He forgives her. I tend to avoid situations where I don't know what to do. Right? I, just last week, after the third service, I was leaving my office. My office is back here. And I, uh, I was walking to my car, and I saw some people run by me with towels and buckets. There was a pipe that had broken, had burst in this bathroom right behind the stage. And it was like going off like a geyser. It was flowing out of the bathroom and everything. And I looked and I saw that there were people there and stuff, and then I, I just turned and walked to my car. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Jesus wades into Mary Magdalene. Jesus knows exactly. 
And that's what he does for you. He wades into your life, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how messed up things seem, no matter how many people have avoided you because they don't know what to do or what to say. Jesus comes to you. He sees you, engages you, loves you, forgives you, offers to make you whole. And the last thing that he does for Mary is he creates a place for her. Every time you see Mary after this, Mary's right smack dab in the middle of the disciples. She's not on the periphery. Look, she's not uh, on the outside of the glass looking in. She's right there in the midst of them because Jesus made a place for her. She who had no place, she who had no home, was there. I was thinking about our church. We need to be a, a place for people who feel like they're invisible. We need to not worry about whether, if we engage them, whether we will be outside of our depth or outside of our expertise because we know the one who is never outside his depth, and that's Jesus. Right? We need to be a church that's more like the, a hospital waiting room than a job interview waiting room. You know the difference, right? You go into a job interview waiting room, everyone is dressed, everyone's looking their best, they're trying to, be, trying to put their best foot forward, trying to look even better than they actually are. Right? That's the way a lot of churches are. That's the way you feel sometimes when you come to church. You want to look better than you actually are. You want your life to seem like it's all together. That's not what they do in a hospital waiting room. In a hospital waiting room, nobody tries to look better than they are. They say, I'm broken. I'm here so somebody will see me, so that somebody will heal me. That's the kind of church I want us to be. I want us to be a place where people who feel invisible can come. And then here they can be seen and meet the one who has been looking for them and who sees them. So if the first stage for Mary is that no one sees her, and the second stage for Mary is that Jesus sees her, and the third stage for Mary, Magdalene, is that everyone sees Jesus through her. Everyone sees Jesus through her. You know, when you look at what's going on with her after this with Jesus, every time you see her, she is serving Jesus. She's not disgruntled. She's not complaining. She's not trying to get more attention. She's not making the disciples' jobs harder. All she does is she wants to serve this one who finally saw her, loved her, healed her, made a place for her. Mary has two characteristics that I long to have. She had love and courage. And at its best, those two things go together. The thing that you love, if you love enough, you will have courage. I heard this illustration years ago. It was a great illustration. If you had, this guy said, if you have two, imagine two 50-story buildings side by side, and I, I stretched a plank between the windows at the 50th story between these two buildings, what would it take for me to get you to, to walk across that plank? Could I dare you? Could I triple dog dare you? Would that work? You'd say, no way. Could I offer you money? And you think, well, how much money would it take? And what, what good would money do if I plunge 500 feet to my death? Could I threaten you? What threat could be worse than falling 500 feet? This guy said, I know how I could get you to run across that plank. I could put your children in the opposite window and then I could set that building on fire and you would fight me to try to get across that plank to your children. And I thought, love and courage go side by side. 
Mary Magdalene, because of what Jesus had done to her, for her, through her, she loved Jesus. And so when Jesus was being crucified, she was right there at the foot of the cross. The disciples nowhere to be seen. The disciples hiding because they're afraid. Mary Magdalene stood watching Jesus die. She watched them take his lifeless body off the cross. She watched them wrap him in a linen shroud. She followed them to the tomb where they laid him and waited until they rolled the stone in front of that tomb. And when the sun went down, she went home. And then Sunday came, and this is the account from Sunday morning as told in the Gospel of John. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and in Aramaic said, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. It's so amazing. Jesus was the first one to, to really see Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is the very first one to see the risen Jesus. And you have no idea how amazing that is. I mean, I've tried to tell you before about this, but listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to tell you just a couple of things. One is that all of Christianity balances on the resurrection of Jesus. So whatever issues you have with Christianity or with the Bible, what I would tell you is focus on the resurrection. Because if, if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, Christianity is false, period. But if the resurrection of Jesus happened, then Christianity is true, period. So focus on the resurrection. The other thing is, I would tell you this. When you read an account of the resurrection like this, you only have two options. One, someone made it up. Or two, it happened just like this. So when you read an account of the resurrection, you need to be always asking yourself the question, if I was going to make up a story, is this the way I would make it up? And if you were making up the story of the resurrection in the first century, you would never, ever have a woman be your first witness. Because every major culture in the first century was misogynistic. The Greek culture, the Roman culture, the Jewish culture. When I say misogynistic, what I mean is they felt like women were inferior to men. They would not let a woman testify in a court of law because they didn't feel like she was a reliable witness. So if you were making up the story... You would never, if you could choose any witness, you would never choose a woman to be the first witness, and you particularly wouldn't choose someone like Mary Magdalene who had a past like Mary Magdalene had. But the only reason you would have Mary Magdalene be your first witness to the resurrection of Jesus is because Mary Magdalene was the first witness to the resurrected Jesus. 
that this really happened. And Jesus gives such a gift to Mary Magdalene. He said, Mary Magdalene, you get to be the first one to know this fantastic news. I don't know if you've ever been the first one to know really good news. The worst thing anybody can do to you is go, this is really, really good news. Don't tell anybody, right? Because you'll feel like you're going to explode. I was, uh, I was in Israel a few years ago, and I had just finished floating in the Dead Sea. You don't swim in the Dead Sea. You just float. Because the Dead Sea has such a salt content, it makes you really buoyant. That's what it's known for. I mean, if, if you're floating in the Dead Sea, if I was like, like floating, standing up in the Dead Sea, like this much of my body would be out of the water. It's incredible. You can sit like you're reading a newspaper in the Dead Sea. You can, you can uh, lay in your stomach like Superman, you know, in the Dead Sea. So afterwards, I was in a locker room, and because it's a tourist attraction, there are people from all over the world. And I'm getting dressed in the locker room, and somebody I, I don't see shouts out, anybody here speak English? And I, I thought something was wrong or no one said anything. I said, I, I do. And he comes walking over to me and he goes, was that awesome or what? Said, <laughs> <laughs> he, he had just experienced something amazing and he had to tell somebody, right? So he told me. I think that's the way Mary Magdalene felt. Mary Magdalene went out and she was just saying, oh, I have got to tell somebody. That's the way I feel, the way you should feel if you really know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, Jesus saw you when no one else did. Jesus loved you when no one else would. Jesus healed you when no one else could. Oh, and doesn't it make you want, long to tell somebody? To say, I want you to know this Jesus who saw me, who loved me, who healed me, who forgave me. So Mary was the very first one to know. You may be the first one in your family to know Jesus. You may be the first one on your team or in your school or in your group of friends, or in your play group, or at your workplace. There are people who long to know Jesus, who feel like no one sees them, no one knows them, no one's even looking for them, and you can be the one to tell them. Listen, Mary Magdalene walked away from the tomb and decided that she wanted to tell every single person person. You can too. Because this same Jesus came looking for you, and he saw you when no one else ever really saw you. And then he engaged you in such a way where he could love you, forgive you, heal you, make a place for you. And now you can be a person where everyone sees Jesus through you. Let's go make him famous. Right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you, and I am uh, amazed. I'm amazed that you are uh, one who looks for us, every single one of us. I'm, uh, I'm amazed that you uh, are never out of your depth, 
no matter what we're going through, no matter who we are, no matter how bad we have messed up, but you will come to us, engage us, love us, forgive us, heal us. I pray that you would do that now. And then for those of us who've experienced that, I pray that you would fill us with both love and courage, that we would love you enough and be courageous in telling others so that other people might see you through us and we might make you famous. Thank you for being such a wonderful, wonderful Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.